We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bellotto. We hope that you and your family have stayed safe so far in these crazy times. But for now, we're still talking Giants offseason. We're full steam ahead as we near that one-month countdown to the 2020 NFL Draft. At least as of now, the NFL is continuing to say the draft will go on. Uh, speaking of the draft, today we're taking a different turn. We're talking about the draft pretty extensively, really for the first time. And that will come for the next month. There's going to be... A whole lot of draft content coming your way from the Big Blue Bander podcast. This is the first taste of it. But first, we're going to dive into some of the Giants free agency news from our last recording that we didn't get to, or at least since the last recording. And as always, before we dive into it all, if you don't mind doing us this one favor, we'll ask it every time, but it's the only one we'll ever ask. Rate, review, download us, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. It plays a massive role in moving us up the iTunes charts and helping us overall in our growth. And if you can do any kind of promotion at all of our show to your family, to your friends during this time especially, any Giants fans want more inter- interesting takes on the football team moving forward. And obviously, we know we're more of a niche, in-depth podcast, and that's what we're striving to be. We don't want to be your average Giants hot take podcast. We don't need to be that. We don't want to be that. So anyone you know who might be interested, just do us a favor, shout it out to them, and continue listening, and we'll continue delivering that fire, hopefully. So without further ado, let's jump right into this, Nick. Let's start with some of the signings since our last pod. I want to start with probably the most interesting one, at least to me, of the recent signings. Uh, and obviously in the last pod, we hit Fackrell and everything before that. So let's start with Cameron Fleming, uh, former swing offensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. And before that, New England Patriots played on Super Bowl team. One year, four million prove it deal. What are your thoughts? I think it's just a low risk kind of deal. I mean, we've 
bitched about the Giants offensive line for so long as Giants fans. And I believe adding talent, especially talent that has competed on two different offensive lines that have been playing at a high level with the Patriots in their system. And the system definitely helps that out. Obviously, Dante Skarnecchia, who has retired now, came out of retirement, but he has some uh, he can rub off, he rubbed off on Cameron Fleming. And then obviously Mark Colombo, familiar face. You bring you bring him in as well. And I believe just adding these swing tackles, somebody who can compete for that right tackle position along with Nick Gates, if the Giants don't add somebody, which they more than likely will add tackles in this draft. But it's only one year. It's only $4 million. A little prove-it deal. See if uh, he ends up winning the job. See if he ends up starting at a high level. So, I mean, to me, it's just a good, solid signing of a 27-year-old player who has shown some competency and has familiarity with the coaching staff. So, I liked it. Yeah, I think I'm I'm fine with the move. I think the Giants one thing that's important, the Giants have to continue adding, drafting, signing and developing offensive line talent. They need bodies in that room to develop. And with Fleming, what you get here is like Nick said, a 27-year-old who was a former fourth-round developmental pick from the Patriots has developed under two of the bad well, I sorry, under arguably the best offensive line coach in that I've ever seen, and that's Dante Sarnecchia from the Patriots and he spent Multiple years there, including starting on a Super Bowl team, I believe. That twenty, I think it was 26 starts combined between the Cowboys and Patriots. And then came over and got to play football under offensive line coach Mark Colombo for the Cowboys. And he's now the offensive line coach for the Giants, as we know. So clearly, a few things in play here. One, the Giants believe that his development is ongoing. And that's the case for a lot of players, especially the offensive line, especially the offensive line positions where development takes time. You don't really often see it. This goes back, and we'll talk about this during our draft section, but anyone expecting you know, someone to come in as a top-five pick, normally when you draft somebody in the top five, they're an elite player looking for a blue-chip guy who can be an impact player right away. I don't know if that's the case for the offensive line, especially on the exterior at the offensive tackle position. I think that the it's very few and far between that you get the Joe Thomas, Tyron Smith types, and quite frankly, I don't see any of those in this draft class, unfortunately. But, you know, not to say some of the guys that we like a lot, Werfs, Wills, you know, even Becton can be that, but it just, it's not there right now. Um, and so it could take time to develop. And with Fleming, it, that could be the case. It could be a player who's continuing to develop and Colombo wants to get his hands on him again and develop him. But what this signing says more than anything to me is that the Giants want to stay flexible at the offensive tackle position. When you sign a guy like Fleming, who's had experience at left tackle and right tackle, and again, when I asked, uh, you know, Cowboys insider, he had lukewarm things to say about Fleming. Patrick Walker, our Cowboys insider for CBS, said basically at times it looked like it looks like he's an elite tackle. And then literally a few snaps later, it looks like he's somebody who's never played in the NFL before. So consistency, he said, was by far and away the biggest issue with Fleming. But, you know, when he was playing under Starnex, Garnecki with the Patriots, that wasn't the case. He had good grades. He was a consistent tackle for them. Um, and obviously, you know. He helped them win football games. So it's interesting there. But more than anything, like I was saying, this signing shows to me Giants want to stay flexible at the offensive tackle position, Nick. They want a guy who can play both sides. So in the draft, they can, per se, you know, maybe take a guy like Tristan Wirfs, who's going to probably have to be on the right side, or a guy like Wills, who's only played the right side. You can't really ask these guys to flip sides. It doesn't really work like that. So then in the case of Nate Solder struggling the way he did, Nick, in 2019, they could say, all right, let's give Cam Fleming a shot. He's played the position before. He's had relative success there. So to me, Nick, 
It's a signing that leaves them uh, their options open. Because say if they just signed somebody like Daryl Williams, or you know he might might be the best example, but but a surefire locked in right tackle, Nick. Well, then what do you do if you get into the season and your two best performing tackles are the guy you sign and Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick Wills or anyone you draft? Then what do you do? Nobody can play left tackle. Your two best tackles, one has to sit on the bench because you have Nate Solder over on the left side. So I think they're trying to avoid that situation altogether there, Nick. So for me, it's a nice, no, basically no-risk deal. One year, prove it. They were the few guys they could choose between. Darrell Williams was one of them. But I'm kind of happy they settled on a guy who can play both sides. Yeah, especially a guy who's familiar as well. I mean, that that's an understated thing. And I know some Giants fans are getting a little sick of uh, the familiarity and not bringing in, quote unquote, their best players. But I do believe familiarity and knowing that somebody understands your system as a coach knows that they will comprehend the system, knows that they are competent in being taught what you're trying to teach them. I think that's a very uh, underrated thing amongst fans. So that's another thing that's definitely important. The only reason the fans don't like it is because it hasn't worked. Um, They haven't exactly chosen the right guys. And in general, they started almost from scratch with the roster when Gettleman took over. It was was a near scratch start. I mean, you had Beckham, but that was a a dwindling asset with with an injury history. And you didn't really have much more after Beckham at the time of when they, you know, they had aging Jenkins, Harry, Harrison, Vernon, but, you know, wasn't much there. So, again, it's going to take time, but I agree with you. Continuity plays a big factor, a much bigger factor than people realize. All right, let's catch up on some other signings, Nick. How about Colt McCoy to back up Daniel Jones? Yeah, see, Colt McCoy, he's going to come in. He's going to compete with Alex Tanney, and he's come into the NFL, and he's shown that, hey, I can play some football at a competent level and even win some games sometimes. So I think if Daniel Jones does get injured, which he did in his rookie season, something that Giant fans are not overly accustomed to because we had the Iron Man Eli Manning out there time and time again. Now, if Daniel Jones goes down, I think you can bring in Colt McCoy, and he can make you compete. Now, is the roster at that level right now? Possibly not, but maybe if Colt McCoy does stick around, he is 33 years old right now, but I feel like it's uh, just low, very low contract. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know it wasn't an expensive contract. Come in, compete with Daniel Jones, and I feel like he would be more of a competent starter than Alex Tanny because he has that that past. He's played a lot of football. I mean, he was drafted by Cleveland back in, what, 2010? He's jumped around a little bit. He's been with Washington for the last four or five years. So, I mean, I'm fine with the... Uh, I'm fine with the signing. Uh, somebody's going to, I don't know if the Giants are going to look to carry three quarterbacks because you and I have kind of discussed that Alex Tanney, maybe they were keeping him around because he was an excellent teacher for Daniel Jones. But now with this, I'm not really 100% sure what that means or if they're going to try to carry three quarterbacks. But uh, I guess time will tell with that. But I think uh, just uh, with all of McCoy's past and his starting ability, I feel like he's done it at a competent level, and that's something that Tanny has not done yet. So maybe if if McCoy wins that job, then Tanny might not have a roster spot anymore. Yeah, I, I'm not as big on this signing, I guess, as you are. I, I, I personally, I think I've seen enough from Tanny in the preseason that I don't think there's that even that much of a drop off. I guess McCoy is the starting experience, but not not very good starting experience. And a couple decent spot starts. I'm going to think of a Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys when he was with the Redskins. But, you know, this is not a quarterback who I'm very high on. And I think he'll compete with Tanny, and hopefully the Giants will be smart enough to only keep one on their roster and so they can use that extra roster spot for special teams or something more important to help them win football games. But this is kind of the reality the Giants are in. They're not in a position with Jones on, on his second year's rookie deal to sign somebody like a Cam Newton or Jameis Winston. That, 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 that causes too much problems. And, you know, so that leaves them with these kind of back-end type of guys. They're 
banking on a guy who's had starts and experience. They value that over maybe, you know, trying to develop a late round pick. That's probably the right move there. Um, and like you said, he'll compete with Tanny. Hopefully one will win there. Nothing too much to make of that one, I don't think. How about Nate Ebner, who they signed away from the Patriots? My one thing is, uh, I have a question actually, Dan. So yeah, do, go for it. Does the, because um, I know two extra roster spots are being added to the active roster and the overall roster. Do you think that played into this? And does that take effect in 2020? I don't necessarily think that. I think the Giants are a very old school organization. I think the way they look at it is, we need to have somebody with, with starting experience uh, in case Jones gets hurt. So ready? He's already been hurt. He was injured during his rookie season with a high ankle sprain, kept him out of a couple games. So, uh, and obviously he had some injuries at Duke, broken clavicle, which he played, came back on like in two or three weeks. It was awesome. But, you know, had, had a little bit of an injury history there as well. So I think that's kind of more so there. I'm hoping, you know, they, they choose to use those two extra roster spots not on the quarterback position personally. Uh, you know, if you're not, de- and these guys aren't developmental guys to me, Tanny and and McCoy. So to no. me, cutting either one is, is, you know, no skin off their back. Yeah. And I'm going to go on with Nate Ebner right now. So I like adding people who are very good at playing special teams. I feel like the Giants haven't been, uh, at least throughout my life, Giants haven't been the uh, best at that phase of football. And like the Patriots preach and like we preach on this podcast. There's three phases of football. You have the offense, you have the defense, and you have the special team. So bringing in a player like Nate Ebner, who has worked under Joe Judge, so there's that continuity that we've been preaching about. I feel like that's a very solid move. He's a safety by trade, but he's going to be utilized on special teams. Now you have him brought back, you re-signed Cody Core to kind of uh, help form the special teams unit into something that's a little bit more formidable than what us Giants fans are used to. So I did like that signing. Yeah, for sure, Nick. Me and you were in lockstep about this. We both view upgrading the special teams as more of a paramount task, you know, more of an important task for this Giants team and for the Giants franchise than some others might. This may be a, you know, shoot-shoot signing for most, but I think that continuing to replenish and restock the special teams and always looking to upgrade the special team is a very smart thing to do. The Baltimore Ravens, New England Patriots, these are a couple teams, the Steelers, with historically good offensive lines during their winning runs. Um, and I think that, you know, it's an easy way to get an edge. It's a very easy way to get an edge. You just, you know, have to put a little bit of effort into building that roster up and you have to have good coaching there. And the Giants have two of the best special teams coaches, in my opinion, in the NFL. And Thomas McGay, who turned around the Giants special teams in one season, Gone, they went from 32 to number three in football outsiders uh, from 2017 to 2018 season. And you got Joe Judge, who made his name as a special teams coach. So I like it there, too. All right, Nick, how about a bigger name signing? One that people will know just based on, you know, fantasy football, things like that. And a player you had a chance to kind of dive into the game tape on. And that I'm most intrigued about because I, I kind of see a player who might have fallen off a little bit. So let's talk about the Giants' decision to sign running back Deion Lewis. Yeah, so... Deion Lewis, I dove into his tape for Big Blue View. You can go check it out, do a little film breakdown of him. And in 2019, he he does not have that burst, that explosiveness through the hole that he used to have when he was with the Patriots. Kind of fell off a cliff ever since he signed that four-year, I think it was $20 million deal with the Titans. But uh, I watched some 2018 games to kind of refresh myself. I saw a little bit more explosiveness, a little bit more burst than I did in 2019, especially week one against the Dolphins, which I have a couple of those clips within that article. But I do think he does bring 
some things to the table that the Giants need, and that is his ability to pass protect. I think in pass protection, recognizing the blitz and just kind of knowing protections and being aware on the field, he's done a good job. And despite his diminutive size, he's like 5'9", 185 pounds, he really puts himself into a position to anchor down and give a nice little jolting shot to linebackers that are blitzing in. And it's actually surprising. He was doing this in 2019 too, last year. He was out there a lot on third down for the Tennessee Titans. So that was a very uh, intriguing and surprising thing for me to see from such a smaller running back who is getting older. He's only 29 years old. Now, when I, when I heard about the signing, I thought like maybe he was in his thirties, 31, 32, but he is only 29 still, but I did see a loss in step. You could see in some of the clips that I do put in the article, he breaks, he, he has very good vision and he has good change of direction in small quarters and small areas he can do that so his feet are still kind of quick when it comes to those things and i love his patience he waits for blocks to develop and then he attacks the hole but the explosiveness and space and the long speed has definitely faded uh since his days in new england and even since his early early days in 2018 and uh, tennessee titans wanted to get away from that little contract and just didn't see the value with him anymore the giants brought him in now i thought the giants were going to maybe draft a younger running back or maybe bring in a UDFA or something like that. But the one thing I do like about this, if I'm going to take anything away from it, because at first I wasn't a huge fan of it, but the one thing I do like about it, if I'm going to take anything away, is that young running back that they were to bring in hypothetically would not have anywhere near the mental processing or football IQ of Lewis. And I think it's imperative to ensure that on third down, if they are going to have two running backs, but I feel like Jason Garrett's going to run more two running back personnel groups, they have a running back who is better in pass protection than Saquon Barkley. Not that he's going to spell Saquon Barkley in all these uh, all these situations, but somebody who can maybe even teach Saquon the little nuances of that and come in in certain situations and be that player. You could split Saquon Barkley out, put him in the slot. You could do so many different things with him because he's a dynamic athlete. But that is something Lewis offers that those younger players would not. So that's something that I do like about the signing. It's interesting, Nick. For me, uh, okay, so if the options were, you know, you don't sign Lewis and Gallman for some reason can't perform and you're just using a draft pick to, to back up Saquon Barkley, well, you can't do that because in that scenario, you might have another Hilleman situation where you have to have, you know, the undrafted free agent type starting and playing an entire game like he did for the Giants last season. And then you're a total mess in your passing game and your run game. So I totally get that. I like what he brings to the table from a pass pro standpoint. Uh, I like his route running ability, especially on option routes and arrow routes. I've seen even even now in his later years. But I want to say this, Nick. The reason I don't really love the signing is just kind of a, you know, philosophical thing. 29 for me, you could say he's only 29, Nick. I'm going to say 29 is old for a running back, okay? That is a position, in my opinion, where the Giants should continue to look to get younger, more explosive in, and look to kind of catch fire in. A lot of teams are catching fire with excellent value picks at the running back position on day three or at an undrafted market. You see it every year. And now the Giants won't have that opportunity, and what are they giving up? What are they getting for giving up that potential opportunity? Or and they sh- I shouldn't say they won't have that opportunity. They could still draft someone, and they still very may-, may well draft someone. But that player would come at the expense of Wayne Gallman. And for me, people are writing off Gallman way too fast, Nick. He had an injury threat. I'm watching the 2019 season because it was an injured season. And you know what? This happens for players 
all the time. It's a fact of life. It's the NFL. There's going to be some seasons you got to wipe out due to injury. And we've seen plenty of players who used to have the injury-prone tag. You know, at one point of Frank Gore's career, he even had an injury-prone tag. Go look it up. Go look back. They used to think he was injury-prone after, uh, you know. Yeah, one college, game. man. Yeah, yes. yes. a ton right. of injuries in Miami. Exactly. So, for me, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm tacking that on to Gallman. I would love to see Gallman get more opportunity. But, you know, with this Lewis signing, that seems unlikely. Maybe they're moving on. It was a Jerry Reese draft pick. Um, but for me, this is a guy who, in 2016 or 2017, I don't remember when it was, I was writing articles about how Deion Lewis was the most underrated fantasy football draft pick because of his forced missed tackle rate with the Patriots and, his bro- and, and surprisingly, his yards after contact per attempt average. Those Excellent contact gone- balance, man. Yes, excellent contact balance. But those numbers have gone down a little bit with the Titans. And like you said, it kind of looks like he's lost a bit of a step on tape. Maybe he was playing through injuries. Who knows? And third, what concerns me, Nick, another red flag is why is he not thriving in that Tennessee system last year that was kind of built for running back to thrive? And they used a lot of power and gap. And now, you know, he's coming over to an offense we expect the Giants to use a lot of power and gap. And I kind of feel like Lewis might be a better fit for the old Pat Shermer inside zone scheme, if I'm being honest. Now, to bring it back and to circle that all back, he did have success running with the Patriots, and they obviously are known for using a lot of power and gap, uh, of course, and they mix it up, but that that's one that's probably their predominant run-blocking scheme. So there are some reasons for hope here. I don't hate the signing by any means. I just, this is not how I would philosophically approach adding to the running back position and building out the running back position. I think it's pretty much as simple as that for me, Nick. Yeah, and I understand where you're coming from. And like I say in the article, and I I stand by it, when the signing first came across, I was a little confused. I was a little puzzled by it. And then I dove into the film, and I saw that he lost his step, but I see his ability to still break through arm tackles and have that contact balance and really just be effective as a short area receiver and work out and pass protection. And I was like, okay, I can uh, see where they're going. Uh, Again, I don't even know if I would have handled it that way, but – I see positives with the signing, so I'm not going to bash it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm not bashing it, but I'm just not my favorite one. Okay, how about this? The Giants signed an XFL player, Nick. (laughs) XFL. They're grinding tape on the XFL. you got to love that, I guess. Um, Javon Haskew-Henry is the player they signed. Defensive back, believed to come in and kind of compete for that nickel job, potentially. What do you make of this signing? I actually want to dive into his film from when he was he was with the Steelers in the preseason, didn't make the roster. He's a 2019 UDFA, and he's also the player on the XFL Guardians, the New York team, who caught the flag of the official and threw it back at him. So he has a little bit of edge to him, it might seem like. But no, I got to grind his film and see exactly how he is. I want to say he played safety at West Virginia. If I'm looking, yeah, yeah. he was a safety at West Virginia, so he uh, used to have the— uh, Obviously, he was used to be somebody who could cover deep and have that kind of range, but I'm not. That's not why the Giants are bringing him in. They're bringing him in to be the nickel or at least compete for it. So, I mean, we've encouraged so many, uh, so many times to bring in as much competition for that nickel position. So, I'm personally fine with it. If it doesn't work, it's going to be something small. I think it was a two-year contract. I'm sure the money is really, really cheap. So, let him compete. See what he has. He's 25 years old. So, I mean, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I like it. If he's you know found that niche in that nickel role. Well, maybe you can bring that over to the NFL with the Giants, low risk, and they needed more competition at nickel. So I like it, too. I'm fine with that one for sure. All right, Nick, let's take a quick break to your word from our sponsors before we dive into your mock and a few other things that we're going to get to on this show. 
Hey, everyone, you should go check out Bet Online. Because with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there is nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong there, Jack. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. That's a lot of cash there, brother. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you could still bet on Survivor, American Idol, Big Brother, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Use that promo code. Again, it is BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online wagering experts. All right, Nick, before we dive into your mark, I want to float something that's been suggested a little bit on Giants Twitter, talked about Ballyhooed, and that's the idea of the Giants rescinding the franchise tag on on Leonard Williams and using that freed-up cap space to sign Jadeveon Clowney to a one-year contract in a similar price range. What are your thoughts on this whole idea? <laughs> that would be an interesting uh an interesting development for sure and kind of a kick in Leonard Williams' backside to be like, look, if you're gonna if your camp isn't gonna come to terms with the contract, if they are trying to work long term right now and Williams camp is just not having it, then we're just gonna rescind it and go after Clowney. Uh how I would make of it, I mean I I'm a big fan of Leonard Williams play and I do think he could be a vital piece to this defense with Patrick Graham because he's so interchangeable and I do have my reservations with Clowney. But a one-year prove-it deal for Clowney is going to lead to a multi-year contract. So realistically, I'm trying to think of what I feel like Clowney has to do in this one-year prove-it deal to make me want Clowney to be a giant long-term. And it would have to be multiple – it would have to be at least over, what, 12 sacks and just big big, – performances in big games against teams like the Cowboys and the Eagles. But I like the uh I like the idea of being floated around. I like the fact that we're talking about it, but I still long term I think I want to sign Leonard Williams because I think he'll be cheaper and I still think he'll have a really big impact if that makes sense. I, we might disagree on this one, but uh there's something about Clowney that's just giving me reservations. The fact that his market is so dried up, the fact that he's been on three teams, the fact that he's always injured Trying to play through injuries, which is admirable, but then that affects his play. There's just some things like that. But, I mean, it's hard to pass up top-edge players, and he has the potential. Hasn't really gotten there yet, but he has the potential to be a top-edge player. But I do love his run defense, too, so that makes me want to think twice as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting one, Nick, and it kind of brings you back. And I saw this, you know, resurface on Giants Twitter, so I will get this take out. You know, someone who's like, I can't believe there's anyone who could possibly think it's dumb to trade the number uh, 68 pick for Leonard Williams. Look at all these past players who were taken at 68, and it's just like a list of busts. Okay, good, give me a break. The draft it is itself is a list of busts. There's busts at literally every pick. It's not about that. It's about this taking the swing, maybe hitting the home run, and then getting them on a four-year rookie contract within your system, having them grow and re-sign to a contract. The more chances you can get, that's the whole point of the draft. You cannot look at it in a vacuum. But the point I'm trying to make here, Nick, before I go nuts, is that if the Giants had just not traded that pick for Leonard Williams, they literally could have just signed Jadeveon Clowney to this one-year contract. And why are we in this position? Well, because Jadeveon's Clowney market wasn't what he thought it would be. The only team that was willing to pay him Big money long-term was the Dolphins, and it got into the contract. I think it was the Dolphins, I believe. And then once they signed Byron Jones, that was it. 
they had given up their big long-term money, and no one left on the market has the has the interest in signing him to a long-term deal. So what does that mean? Well, it means the Giants could have the 68th pick in the draft. Is it 68 or yeah, 68th pick in the draft, and Jadavian Clowney, or they can have Leonard Williams. To me, that's the easiest no-brainer in the world. But we're not in that reality. We're in—I mean, we're not in that fantasy. We're in the reality here, where the Giants have given up that ridiculously valuable pick. In my mind, I know it's debated by others. I see it as extremely valuable, um, and they have Leonard Williams. Now the question is, who is better on a one-year prove-it deal? Because the way I see it, Nick, I don't think the Giants would be wise to, and I don't think they are really considering you know, strongly re-signing Leonard Williams yet. I think they want to make him prove it one year in Patrick's Graham system. To me, that's by far and away the best case. I think they have the leverage. Don't think what Williams has done is deserving of a long-term big money contract yet. So I would let him play out this tag. Now the question is this. One, who's more valuable on a one-year deal? Two, who's more valuable to the Giants long-term? And then three, if neither is in their long-term plans, would it be better to sign one or the other? So let me ask, answer the first one. On a one-year deal, I think based on the fact that this team has B.J. Hill, Dexter Lawrence, and Dalvin Tomlinson, they'd be better off with Jadavion Clowney. He's the best edge-setting, one of, if not the best edge-setting true, uh, or sorry, edge-setting true edge in the league in the run game. He's graded out top seven back-to-back years. Um, plays way, plays big. He is big. And He's not a bad pass rusher either. So far from what I've seen, that's pretty similar on the second part with the pass rushing to Leonard Williams. But you know what, Nick? While the Giants' run defense did improve once they added Leonard Williams, he specifically didn't get as, at least going by PFF's grade, wasn't as dominant in the run game. Now, we obviously seen a little difference, but, you know, we even talked about it on a lot of the individual pods, Nick, if you'll recall. We had some games where we really questioned Leonard Williams' run defense, did we not? Yeah, the Cowboys game, which was his first game, so we kind of gave him a break. But that Cowboys game was really bad. He was getting horizontally displaced the entire game on that outside zone. Really bad in the run game, that game. And the grades reflected it uh, throughout and even specifically in that game. So for me, answering that first question, I'd rather have – I'd rather take the upside swing on Clowney uh, if it was one or the other. I'd still rather have Williams than nothing. Still happy to sign him to the tag if they're not going to sign Clowney. Um but that and that one's the closest one for me, Nick. On the second one, on the long term thing, again, I think I'd rather have Clowney long term. I think that it's harder to find an edge than it is to find an interior defensive lineman. You see it every year. Look at how easy it was for some of these teams to improve their interior defensive line. Legit, somebody got Calais Campbell for a fifth round pick. I mean, come on. We're talking about and those examples are every offseason and they're more than one in every offseason because there's a lot of IDLs around and there's a lot of teams who are looking to kind of move on from that position, shed some cat there because they know they can kind of get it in a cheaper way if they need it. And that's kind of what I think the Jags did there. Now, the third question for me, Nick, this one kind of knocks out of the park. If they're not going to re-sign either after this one-year proof deal, who's going to get them? Who's going to get a bigger contract from another team? Why do we think about that, Nick? Because the Giants might not be spenders next year in free agency. I know it's possible they are, but they're going to enter the, that next offseason with some some cap space, but also some contracts they might want to redo. Uh, we're talking about potentially re-signing Will Hernandez if he has a breakout year. Potentially re-signing Barkley early. People have talked about. Um, so really, when it comes and 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 that and that's not just limited to those two players. Those are probably the two I think would probably at least in Dave Gettleman's eyes and the way I I, I view this kind of regime. Those are the two most likely to get paid early. I don't know if there's anyone else. Uh, potentially Ingram as well if he has a breakout season. 
don't rule that out at all. The Giants are higher on him than, you know, people think, in my opinion. So, so really, they might not be big spenders next year in free agency. So then they could get a third-round comp pick back for Clowney. So you have to, you know, factor that in as well. I'm not so sure if Leonard Williams has another season like he did last year you know, not standing out on the stat sheet, things like that, he's going to get a massive deal next offseason. So with all that factored in, Nick, honestly, I think I'd do it. I think I'd swap out Williams for Clowney on a one-year deal. Hey, yeah, when you break it down in those three ways, I mean, it's really interesting. I think it's a very uh, thought-provoking yeah, uh, uh, exercise to definitely go through. And Clowney's run defense on the edge is definitely something that really p- makes me really want to consider it. The thing about Clowney is another reason why his market is a little bit dry is because he doesn't show all these different pass rushing moves. He's not that kind of pass right. rusher, like yeah, different yeah. ways to uh, win, stringing moves together. He's more of just, I'm going to try to run around you or kind of run through you, yeah. and hopefully I can win that way. So it's a little bit unrefined. And that's why his market is so dry. And he was trying to value himself around Khalil Mack money. And he's just not that kind of player. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I really like the thought of Leonard Williams in this in this Patrick Graham defense. But I mean, he's being like this and he's trying to demand all this money. And statistically, and you and I value him as a player, but statistically, he doesn't rate that. And he's not getting that through his head. And that's the issue right now. And he knows he has the leverage because Dave Gettleman gave him the leverage by trading away a third round pick. You know, it's it's very, very frustrating to go over. But uh, it's very interesting to talk about for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it's close. I'm not like sold to the point where I'm saying you should go out right now and do this. But because I do think Williams has upside. He's still young. He does a couple things really well and he can play multiple positions. There's obviously upside there. I don't mind. I, I like him. I definitely wanted them to resign him to the franchise tag. So it's not like I wanted him to walk or anything like that. But, you know, as far as Clowney versus versus Williams, I'm probably leaning a little towards Clowney. Oh, I like it. All right. Let's dive into your full seven round New York Giants mock draft. For those who don't know, Nick has been writing for Sports Illustrated and Big Blue View. You should check out his content. I obviously have moved on from covering the Giants beat in print. Though I do still from time to time cover the Giants in print for CBS Sports. I've done an off-season tracker, which you can keep up with. It has all the latest moves. I'm going to eventually dive into a full seven-round mock draft for the Giants myself that will be published on CBS Sports. In addition to some, you know, full team, uh, full 32 mock drafts that I have planned for CBS Sports as well. Just some things to keep an eye on. But today we're going to dive into Nick's first rendition of a seven-round Giants-only mock draft. Um, and so... Let's before we dive into it, Nick. According to your intro, the mock was done, and I want to make sure this is right. The mock was done based on who you would take, and not who you're thinking the Giants would take. And it was done without any trades. Is that correct? It was done without any trades, and it was who I would take. Even though this is going to sound a little bit weird, uh, I've watched a lot of offensive line film and really broke down these guys since I wrote this. This published a couple of days ago, but I wrote it before that, and I think right. I would change my. Uh, I think I would change that number four pick to be honest, which I feel like yeah. we can go back and forth on. Let's do that then. Well, I'm gonna allow. I'm gonna ask you. So let's start there. First, tell us about who you took it for and what you like and dislike about the player, and what you and any any other breakdown and analysis from that player from the film you've watched. Then tell us who you would have taken instead. Now that you've watched more film. Gotcha. So I want to lay the I want to lay this out first. Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons is definitely somebody that I, I really would love at four. And so was this, he on the board at four in your mock draft? No, he was on the board on the on on the mock draft. But Were you using a draft simulator? I was. 
he okay. was on the I was not, he was on the board, but I did do that first pick where I think the Giants might go because of the free agency that they've had, bringing in the linebacker and not doing really anything at tackle other than Fleming. So, with that number four pick, we selected Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle out of Iowa. Okay, this kid has a wrestling background. He has an incredibly strong core, and he's a player that he doesn't necessarily have the ideal length, and a lot of people are saying that he should play guard, but he's a player that excelled at right tackle for the Hawkeyes and did a really good job at doing it, but I grinded his tape and I still love the player. I think he's clean. I watched his USC tape that came out really good, but I also watched his Minnesota and his Penn state tape from 2019. And I had just some concerns, especially when I watched him relative to other tackles in this what class. What concerns did you have of worse? Sometimes when he's getting bull rushed, man, his, uh, he, he has an anchor, but he'll get pushed back a little bit and kind of do a little hop with his feet and then kind of catch himself. He, he can struggle against a lot of strength like that and just positioning sometimes with his positioning, he doesn't put himself in an optimal place to, uh, to really thrive and like maximize leverage, especially when he's taking like vertical sets and things like that. He'll overset sometimes, which opens up an alley to get beat by speed inside, which he was able to overcome a lot because he can, because he is quick and he's an explosive athlete. But against NFL guys, that might be a little bit of concern. So there are some concerns with just oversetting or um, and things along those lines. And I felt like he picked up stunts better in the USC game, but in the, it was either the Minnesota or Penn State game. I have my notes in front of me. The, they were a little bit more sloppy, especially when you're talking about the other player that I watched. Now, that other player that I watched was absolutely smooth. He was a technician, and he's the safest tackle in my mind Ooh, in this so, draft. So now you've changed. Okay, interesting. I'm excited to hear this. Yes. Wirfs, I feel like, has a lot of upside. He all pro guard, but I think he can be a very, very, very good right tackle as well. And I don't want to sell him short with that. I think all the oversetting and some of the strength, I think all that stuff can kind of be corrected. And in the run game, he's still a mauler. He can get his hands inside uh, and just dominate in those well, kind of ways. This, by the way, Nick, if you know, it can be corrected, I'm sure, with the NFL coaching. At the same time, he's the first Iowa tackle in the history of unbelievable tackles at that school, by the way, with Kirk Ferenc to start as a freshman. So these may be habits that he's developed and they may be harder to break. Yeah. I mean, definitely bad habits for offensive line are always kind of difficult to break. That's what like offensive line coaches and offensive line Twitter say, at least I was never an offensive lineman. And that's uh, you, you could get that takeaway from watching 25, 30 minutes of Eric flowers tape with the giants. (laughs) <laughs> Eric Flowers had a lot of things. I I go back, man, and I and I think about that. And I don't want to really take a trip down that negative me- memory lane, but I don't know what the Giants were thinking, man. That guy could never establish inside hand placement. He always just basically hugged the I'm shoulder going. pads, no footwork at all. He couldn't even do a freaking like kick slot, or he couldn't do anything, man. It's literally like Jerry Reese looked at the guy's size and ability to to la- uh, to move forward, not even laterally, just to move forward and frame and said this is a top tackle and took him as a top 10 pick it's crazy stuff that he took him as gm it's un nothing gettleman's done has been as bad as drafting eric flowers in the top 10 in my opinion yeah. nothing no, Not you're fun. you're 100 right i mean I, williams trade <laughs> that was when i first really started covering the draft and everything and i remember being like that what like i didn't even like comprehend it i was like are you, are you kidding me like i remember that was seeing like- him as a fringe first second guy but like every write-up was like 
yeah, I mean, he's a fringe guy because he looks the part, and, like, I guess he can maybe get there, but he's awful on tape and has unbelievably bad habits. Yeah, exactly. But back to Wirfs. Yeah, no, I just, um, I feel like his hands got wide sometimes. Technically, he can get too wide, and uh, that, that that's just power at the point of attack when in pass protection was just something that I didn't feel like going into the evaluation I was going to see. And then I ended up seeing it and I was like, why isn't anybody really talking about that? And I'm not trying to shit on Worfs. I love the player. I think he's great. But when I talk about this other player, I just didn't see that. And I'm going to say that player is Jedrick Wills, the tackle from Alabama. Oh, let's go. Yeah, so Jedrick Wills, again, he's not overly long. He played right tackle because Alabama has Alex Leatherwood, who is a true left tackle, long arm kind of guy. But Wills has slightly longer arms than Worfs, but I've never seen footwork just so clean in pass protection he just glides and he mirrors a top sec defensive lineman just back and forth back and forth and i'm just like holy crap like this guy's footwork is incredible now obviously i would like to acquire him in a trade back situation depending on how other teams value and i would just like to do that with really anything at this fourth pick unless the giants do go isaiah simmons i would like the giants to trade back if they do go tackle but I really loved everything I saw about Will's punch. He you know, Elbows tight, inside hand placement, powerful hands, very strong hands, good lower body, is able to block uh, down, locate at the second level. Something Worfs did at a really, really high level was get out in space and do stuff like that. But Will's can also do it too at a very high level. So I, uh, I came away um, really pleased with what I saw with Will's evaluation. It was the first one I did too. And I was trying not to get like out of the uh, tackles that I did end up just grinding through their film over the last couple of weeks since I've had a lot of time, obviously. And um, I mean, I've watched film on these guys before too, but this time I really sat down, took no, did everything. Right. Like I was, like right. I did a whole little thing on them. And uh, yeah, no, Jedrick Will's the cleanness in pass protection, the, f- the footwork, the feet and all types of sets and the ability to be a, uh, dominating run blocker at the point of attack is still there so he's somebody i was really excited about i think i would go with there if i was the giants picking at four and not going isaiah simmons interesting so before i get into you know kind of we'll we'll look at every pick I'll, i'll kind of talk about what i might do in this spot if i were in charge of the giants draft um and again remember this is what you would do not what we're projecting the giants to do and I'll, I'll approach it the same way now before i get there i want to ask did you have the time did you have the same kind of time did you put into or sorry did you put the same kind of time into evaluating game film for becton and for andrew thomas yes so i did watch uh games on andrew thomas and i did see the slow feet that i thought i saw when i watched right. a couple of them before he sometimes uh, DJ Wanham, who is a pass rusher for the University of South Carolina, beat him a couple different times around the edge with that. And he's another one who um, he he doesn't always establish inside hand placement. He'll give up his chest sometimes, but he has such long arms that like he can just wrap his arms around the kind of outside portions of the uh, shoulder pads. And control from there, not necessarily hold, but it's more like a, like, you know, a, like what a tong is for ice, yep. like when you're, when you have ice and you pick up with a tong, it's kind of like that. So it's not really great form, but he is incredibly powerful. He oversat sometimes and gave up his inside with inside moves, but he could also just use that length to really kind of close off those angles. He also somebody who I felt like got high and which could lead to balance issues, but he's very, very strong in his lower half half and he can and he has pretty good hips he can open them very very well when it comes to those kind of things so uh i'm just looking through my notes right now uh just 
driving people off the ball is another thing that I really like to see from Andrew Thomas. He's definitely somebody that uh, I like a little bit better after watching him. I would, I can't wait till I uh, really organize my notes. Cause right now I just have my notes in front of me, but, uh, from everything that I saw from him, I came away liking him more than I thought I was going to with Andrew Thomas. And as for Makai Becton, uh, it just absolute crazy strength when blocking against the run. He does his move when every time he's the backside blocker, he takes his inside arm and he hits underneath the shoulder pad of whoever is playing either four tech, five tech, four eye or wide and just tosses them. He was, it was kind of weird to just like, it's kind of hard to even evaluate because he's so strong in that regard. He has so much raw strength that he was throwing these like, you know, sophomores in college to the ground and stuff like that. It's kind of hard to even uh, really kind of gauge it. Cause he's not going to be doing that to like 30 year old men right. more than like it, but that strength uh, the punches that he can throw while in the run game. I was very, very uh, intrigued by, but again, he's obviously going to struggle with pad level, struggle with some weight stuff and things like that. But uh, he he's not as good of a setter as those other players, I would say. But he was able to overcompensate with that because he has the length to, right. to do so. And that's something that's a little bit concerning. At the same time, he can probably get away with some of that at the NFL, but yeah. not all of it what, whatsoever. One thing, though, that I did see that I was I was a little uh, – and again, I only watched two – two or three uh, good tapes of this. If you're an evaluator, you, you probably know what I'm talking about when I say the good tape. It uh, uh, wasn't YouTube clips. You know what I'm saying? But um, he, he is very inconsistent, Becton is. with his. And Makai Becton is the tackle from Louisville, for those of you who don't know. He's very inconsistent with his punch placement which is and with his timing. So that always kind of led to just inconsistent control of some blockers. But he, again, so strong that he was able to kind of over compensate for it don't know if that's going to happen at the nfl and uh, another thing uh, i wanted to when when he's in pass protection he does his punch isn't necessarily that hard like when you watch dedrick wills in pass protection he'll like he'll give you a nice shot for me i just thought beckton was kind of like placing his hands on the guy and controlling and like staying in front of him and he has the footwork to kind of do that which is really incredible because he his ability to move with his size and his footwork is something that we've never really seen before yeah. So that's something that you really got to look at. He has so many raw traits, and I don't. I see people compare him to Eric Flowers. I don't. He's much not better even. prospect than Eric Flowers. He's a much not bigger not, prospect. Not even close. Not even close. So he's somebody that's really intrigued me. But there's definitely issues there. There's definitely issues. To me, there's issues with all of them. But for me, Wills is the most polished, the best technician, and the most pro ready. And that was my evaluation off watching two or three games of good film of these four tackles. But I mean, when do you ever have a draft where you have four legit tackles sitting there for you in the top? That it doesn't happen. We've seen drafts where Garrett Bowles was the best offensive tackle available. You know what uh, I'm saying? Ryan so, Ramchek. Ryan Ramchek. Yeah, on. yeah. Ramchek was in that draft. You're right. But still, my, my point is you have four guys. No, I, I'm just joking because literally 30 teams passed on Ramchek somehow. Yeah, well, that was the hip. He had hip injuries, if I'm not mistaken. He had the hip thing, which has never shown up yet in the pros. Yeah, that that's that had to be what it was. In, in my I guess, opinion. or just you know, you know, some people thought there were. It's it's crazy with this with the offensive tackle position. It's not really that easy to pinpoint, in my opinion, in the draft. Yeah, you're you're totally right. But I I had the pleasure, Dan. And Dan, I hate goals, by the way. But go on. Yeah, I had the pleasure to watch Louisville versus Clemson this year on that good film. And yeah. oh my god, just why I was like, it took me like over well over an hour to break that down. And all I was watching was the was the uh, Louisville offense because it had Isaiah Simmons, it had Kavon Wallace, it had Makai Becton, right. and it was just like it was it was amazing, bro. <laughs> well, listen, guys, if you 
heard that shuffling, it sounded like a shuffling sound of paper. That wasn't a sound effect that we added in post, you know, post recording. That was Nick shuffling through his notes. And if you asked me if I could pick a 10 minute segment to kind of break down what the Big Blue Banter podcast is about and why I think it has value to Giants fans, I would choose that last whatever it was, five, 10 minutes that Nick just broke down those four offensive linemen, those four offensive tackle prospects in, because that was unbelievable stuff. Nick has learned how to scout these players, and he's done the work and done the notes in them. I don't know how to scout offensive linemen, and I think there's a lot of people out there who would who are saying a lot of things about how these offensive linemen are playing, and they're using a lot of jargon and lingo, but they might not know, and they may be on a similar level to me. Now I'm learning. I've done a lot of things in the last two to three years to learn how to scout this position, but I do not feel like I know it on the level Nick knows it and the way that Nick can describe it. And that's why if I needed 10 minutes to show what this podcast is about, and we'll get we'll get right back into this in a second, that's the 10 minutes I would use. And for that reason, Nick, I'm going to have to take a little a, a longer look at Wills because if he's separating himself to you, that's a big sign to me. But as far as the rest of those guys go and the rest of the guys you mentioned, I think Becton kind of still intrigues me a lot because listen like you said you don't see guys that size who move like that and and a lot of those issues that you that that everyone can see it doesn't take you know everyone you know I'm sorry it should, I shouldn't say that it doesn't take a diehard offensive line analyst or you know evaluator to see the issues that he has in pass protection but those are issues that may be an issue for someone in my opinion Nick and you correct me if I'm wrong who's 6 foot 4 or 5 with with decent length and you know, 300 pounds. But for somebody who's 360 and 6'7 with nimble feet like that, I almost feel like he can hide those issues even at the NFL level. Now, I'm not talking about in ragdolling guys in the run game like we've seen because that may change when he faces these different edge setters at the NFL level. But as far as the pass protection goes, it's still possible to me that a lot of these issues, Nick, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, can be hidden because we've seen that with Brian McKinney. And more recently, we've seen that with the Ravens' uh, recent second-round pick, who everyone hated after a bad combine, and everyone said would have similar issues in passport. What's his name? The Orlando, Orlando Brown. Yeah, We saw the same thing, but he's dominant so far in the NFL. Why? And at an early age, right away. Amazing play already. Not dominant yet, but easily in that top uh, third, probably top 10, top 15 tackling NFL right now. And why? He's six foot eight with unbelievable footwork for his length. Um, and you just can't get around him. Simply, no. simply put, you just can't get around him. And, and that's and that- the case with, with, with Beckton because it certainly was the case with Brian McKinney, who's been compared to by Daniel Jeremiah and others. Yeah, no, and you're 100% right. You nailed that with uh, Makai back then because, again, the NFL is all about speed. You don't really see many uh, seven-step drops, scan the field, go through full progressions. No, it's like a three-step drop or you catch the ball and shotgun, you turn where you're going to go, and you, you, you do your first read. If it's not there, go to your second read. If not, check down. You get the ball out of your hands really quickly. Right. And with someone like Becton, you need such a good angle and such a good rep as a pass rusher to get around someone that big and that long. It doesn't matter outside or inside. It's very hard to get around somebody like that. And especially since he has those athletic traits that he possesses at his gigantic size. I mean, that's all the intrigue. That's what people are very, very interested in. And that's one of the reasons why I'm very interested in Beckton too. You just don't see some people with, um, I I wish I had the number in my head. He has like 36 inch arms or something. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's very, very intriguing prospect. We don't really see many like that. Yep. No doubt. And, Nick, before I move on to my evaluation and what I would do with this fourth pick, and we're going to get to the whole seven-round mock, don't worry. Um, I would ask you this question, Nick. You talk about before, when do you see an offensive tackle with this kind of top four? Or, I'm sorry, an offensive tackle class with this kind of top four. 
I can give you that, sure. But my question for you is, after watching them more extensively, do you see any blue, 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 I don't even know what the word I'll use. How about super blue? I don't know. Absolute blue chip, like guaranteed lock players like Chase Young will be, and like in my opinion, Isaiah Simmons will be, and like in my opinion, Nick Bosa was last draft class at the offensive tackle position, a Joe Thomas, a Tyron Smith type, or are these guys a tier below for you? And if then your answer will kind of lead into my what I would do with the fourth pick. It seems like Wills will be because he okay. has the ability and the footwork to pass protect, but a lot of things go into playing offensive line. I mean, injuries happen and things like that too. And no, no injuries. Always huge. Just are you seeing a potential Joe Thomas, Tyron Smith, Chase Young at his position, Nick Bosa at his position type? I think Wills could be uh, somebody who makes the Pro Bowl uh, if he goes to the right situation, yes. And I think um, I think these other guys, they have the ceiling and the potential to be if they fall into the right situation as well. And do you think it's going to be easy for Wills to shift over to left tackle? Because really, I mean, if yeah. with Daniel Jones, you're really look, not looking for a long-term right tackle. You're looking for a long-term left tackle. I mean, he has the foot the footwork to, uh, to do it at right yeah. tackle, but it's not that easy just to switch from right yeah, tackle. To that's what tackle. I mean. It's extremely hard to make that switch. People don't realize that. It is, but I mean, he's heralded for being a smart kid and all that stuff, so maybe he could pick yeah. it up and learn it, and he definitely has the athletic traits to do it, but it, doing it is definitely something different, and it's something that I don't really have the insight on. You know? And maybe it's not the worst thing if they have you know a long-term absolute beast at right tackle, too. I mean, you need them both, but I do think left tackle is a little bit more important for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, anyway transitioning a bit here for me the way i look at it is this nick is offensive tackle the most important need for the giants of course it is we both agreed on this in the last podcast now is finding somebody to help in the deep as in the deep half safety role and nickel when which they're in on defense 75 percent of the time and finding somebody an off-ball linebacker who can also match up against the best tight ends and running backs in coverage and best slots on third down and nickel downs that's almost – it's not as important as offensive tackle, but it's almost there for me. And I think Isaiah Simmons can do both. And really the difference for me and why I would take Simmons in this mock draft if he's still on the board over any of these offensive tackles is what we just went over. I'm not so sure I see a guaranteed blue, 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 Bosa, Chase Young chip player in any of these tackles. And I know, I really know that I see that in Isaiah Simmons. That's my evaluation. Could very well be wrong on it. But I see that in Isaiah Simmons. So to me – if you're following and you're, you're subscribing to the theory of the draft should be about value and free agency should be used to fill your needs. And obviously the perfect timing and the perfect marriage is when uh, the perfect plan, I should say, or development is when you can marry both together. But that's not always the case. And in this case, while I see offensive tackle as a more important need, I get all the arguments. You need to give Daniel Jones. You need to build around Jones. You need to have him develop sooner rather than later. You can't have these drawbacks in his development because it will hurt his confidence and it will, you know, it will stir up what you don't need there. And you gotta have someone to pave the way for Saquon Park. I get all of those arguments, but that's still all of those arguments are need-based arguments. And I'm not so sure, again, Nick, that I'm sold that any of these tackles are the guaranteed blue chip that I feel that Isaiah Simmons will be. And again, I think he's helping them in two spots for need. So for me, Nick, I'm in, in, in our mock draft, in this mock draft, if I'm playing along the game with the simulator, I'm going Simmons at four. I mean, yeah, you can't argue that. For, for me, Simmons is by far the best prospect, not named Joe Burrow and Chase Young in yeah. this draft. Me too. And he, he's far 
better than I would say those tackles are as a prospect and the things that you can do and what he would contribute to the defense, to the Giants defense. I feel like he would mask so many holes. When I did that mock draft, I wanted to go tackle there to uh, because I feel like it was sort of in the light of this is what set up free agency kind of set up going tackle because the Giants didn't really address the tackle position. So I was going it from that angle. But if the Giants are sitting there for and they select Isaiah Simmons, you will not hear me bitch one bit. I would it's love the same that. Thing with the offensive tackle, by the way, Nick. I want to make that clear. This, yeah, is yeah, not yeah. A, this is not a bitch draft for me. I'm not going to, you know, two drafts ago, I wasn't happy with their decision to sit at two and take Saquon Barkley. I wanted Rosen or Darnold. I made that pretty clear. If I didn't get, if they weren't going to go quarterback, I wanted them to trade down. Or at the very least, even before taking Barkley, I would have been bet. I would have honestly, and I said it at the time, so you can look back at the receipts. Would have preferred Nelson at two over Barkley. It's just how I evaluate the running back position. It's how I evaluate drafting one at number two overall, and especially how I evaluate Barkley. You know, in general, I thought he was potentially a generational athlete and generational running back, and he's and he really is one of the best running backs in the NFL because of what he can do in so many different ways. But there was, you know, at least one flaw in his game, and that was running in zone. He didn't really run much in zone scheme, which the Giants were going to use, and he tended to bounce some runs outside. And we've seen issues with both of those. So it's not like he was, you know, the perfect prospect by any means. And to me, Nick, you would need like a Barry. I don't even know what you would need for me to want to take a running back at two because I don't even think a perfect running back I would want to take at two based on where I view the position, both short-term and long-term. But back to this. Yeah. This is I was not 100% on board with you with that, by the way. It was, it was quite Nelson for me. For sure. And this is not that kind of draft, though. Like, as long as they don't take Jerry Judy or fucking Derek, or I'm sorry, excuse my language, Derek Brown, it's a good draft. I mean, they, they're going to probably narrow this thing down to one of these tackles or Isaiah Simmons. And it's going to be a win-win, I think. I mean, I prefer Simmons like I just went over. But again, to me, it's a win-win. And and, and keep an eye on this, guys, because I, I really do believe this based on what I've seen and heard this offseason. I think for the Giants— Upgrading center is a more important thing, uh, is a more important uh, strategic plan for the Giants right now, at least for this 2020 offseason with what they have left as far as resources go, than uh, upgrading off the tackle. And that's why ultimately I do really believe the Giants will take uh, Isaiah Simmons. Not just that I would want them to, I believe they will because I believe they're more focused on upgrading center. We've heard in the past Dave Gettleman harp on how much more important, how important the interior offensive line is, keeping that interior push away from your quarterback. And again, I do believe that they're factoring that in and, and they have a major liability at center. Meanwhile, you know, Solder, you hope, can bounce back. And worst case, maybe you can put a you can put someone like Cam Fleming there. And, you know, they've, they've had some decent success with Gates at, at right tackle. But if they're getting killed on the interior against guys like Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, and Gerald McCoy, and all the big players that have been added to the NFC East on the interior defensive line, they're never going to win football games. They're getting killed at the pivot. So, again, keep an eye on that. I think center will be more of a priority in this draft than people realize. But on that note, Nick, let's move on to your second pick. Uh, this was the second round pick at number 36 overall. Who'd you take? So we went with Notre Dame edge rusher Julian Okwara. So Okwara has some injury concerns. He only played nine games this year, and he's been dinged up throughout his career. And that's kind of why he's falling, because he has that athletic ability that you're looking for in the edge in the sense of explosiveness of the arc, his first step, his second and third step, and then he can corner on that third step around tackles. He does all those things at 
a high level at an explosive level, very, very bursty. He can bend through contact, so he has that kind of flexibility in his lower half, in his ankles, in his hips, in his knees to kind of bend through contact, rip through the outside arm of a tackle, and get into the pocket. He's shown that. In 2018, for the Fighting Irish, he had 12 and a half tackles for a loss and eight sacks, and everyone thought, you know, okay, 2019, he's going to really ball out, but then he had that injury-shortened season only had five sacks, which is still very admirable given the uh, talent that they end up playing for uh, the uh, Biting Irish. So I think it's a high upside pick at a position in need, and uh, he will have an effect on the field, an immediate effect, I should say. But uh, And he'll come in and be arguably the best pass rusher right now if he's healthy. Granted, he has to develop and kind of prove himself, but he's a different kind of twitch he has a different kind of twitch than the other players that are on the Giants roster at that position so if he's there at 36 and the medicals check out that would be really enticing for New York Nick I absolutely freaking love this pick let me just say that not enough people are talking about Julian Quara I think he could end up being the steal from a value standpoint of this entire draft class based on the fact that that left broken left fibula which by the way has a very strong recovery rate that is not an injury that you really have to worry about long term Based on that and the fact that he didn't have a full sample size season, um, I think that could end up having him drop in this draft class, 236. When Meanwhile, to me, he is a lock first rounder when I look at him and I watch his tape. But like you said, the really what I like the most is that explosion and bend off the edge. He has what you want in an edge guy, bend off the edge. He's not one of those guys who needs to win with a bunch of count, different counter moves and things like that. He's not a guy, like you said, like Clowney, who wins by either just speed and speed to power or speed off the edge. He has the bend off the edge. And that is so freaking rare in these players at the edge that you're going to see at number 36 or all. You're very rarely in my rarely, I should say, in my opinion, going to see a guy with his kind of explosion and bend and bend at 36. And the only reason it's possible to me in this class is because of how many wide receivers, quarterbacks and offensive tackles, I think will go in those first 35 picks. And I think there's a solid chance Aguara will, Aguara will be there. And I would love this picnic. So I'm all in. All right, Nick, yeah. let's talk about, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say definitely, but I can also see one of these, like, like it's always those smart teams that end up drafting somebody like that, and they end up, you know, one of like nine Pro Bowls late in the draft. I hate when that happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Again, there's a lot of guys that could push him down, so I think based on that injury, I think there's a solid chance he'll be there. Um, and obviously there is some concern based on that, but I, not for me. Broken fibula is not one that concerns me long term. Um and yeah, like you, like you even mentioned, he needs to add a little bit to his frame, obviously, as he gets to the NFL level. But I, I really like what I've seen from him uh, in, in the limited film I've seen of him. But just in general, looking at that and also looking at the pressure numbers for him, which he did a really good job with. All right. How about your third round pick, the Giants compensatory pick at number 99 overall? Where did they go? Their final day two pick. So they went because in this mock draft, the Giants missed out on the Isaiah uh, Simmons sweepstakes say that 10 times fast everybody but they missed out on that so I felt like adding an athletic linebacker is something that would uh, behoove the Giants so I went with somebody we preached about on this podcast Appalachian State and I might have said that wrong again and I hope that person corrects me like he did last time I usually say App State for that reason anyways Akeem Davis Gaither linebacker he's somebody who can match up against tight ends and man coverage and the Giants don't necessarily have at the linebacker position granted I feel like Julian Love might be able to really do that but I feel like Akeem Davis Gaither his movement skills in space he has the hips he's a good tackler he can come off the edge and bend Granted, he's not an edge rusher whatsoever, but he has that ability as an athletic linebacker to kind of come through 
uh, on stunts and twists and do those kind of things. And I feel like he would definitely be a valued member, not just on third down, but he could be utilized by Patrick Graham in a lot of different ways. And he can kind of help really, uh, really make this defense more formidable if the Giants do end up missing out on Isaiah Simmons. I mean, Davis Gaither in college, he had over 100 tackles this year. He had 96 the year before, 14 and a half tackles for loss this year, nine and a half in 2018. So somebody who, um, if you watch the game against South Carolina, which I did end up watching, and that's obviously App State's a smaller school. They play in the Sun Belt. And the SEC, obviously, is the home to South Carolina. He really made his presence known in that game, kind of rose to the occasion just like he did at the Senior Bowl, showed up well. So I kind of uh, would really love this pick if the Giants don't get Isaiah Simmons and he there at 9-9. Don't know if he will be, though. Absolutely, Nick. I would love this pick even if the Giants do take Isaiah Simmons because I do believe that they could have both on the field in nickel situations. And again, remember, nickel defense, about 75% of what you're going to see from all teams across the NFL in 2020, just as it was in 2019, 2018. That's because teams are using 11 personnel more than ever across the board, and that's three wide receivers. Now, as for Akeem Davis-Gaither, I'm not going to offer too much more analysis because, Nick, me and you dove deep into Akeem Davis-Gaither on our Senior Bowl recap podcast, and Nick was down in Mobile watching the practice film and seeing these guys live. So go ahead and check out our Senior Bowl podcast. Run it back if you haven't heard it. Um, well, we have a full breakdown of Keen Davis Gaither there, but as far as him coming to the Giants at number 999 overall, it's perfect match made in heaven. Like you said, I love the fact that he wrote, he played his best at the senior bowl. And when he got his chance to play D one, a D one opponent in South Carolina, to me, that shows a lot. And that's a similar path to what Darius Leonard kind of took with the Colts, that kind of mid round pick. They got him, I believe in the second, everybody thought it was a huge reach from, you know, again, a smaller school, but he ends up being. Coming uh, defensive rookie of the year, I believe it was, and he's one of the best off-ball linebackers in the NFL. So Davis Gaither may not be Darius Leonard level, but I see some flashes, some similarities. I love what he could bring to this defense. And most importantly, I think with Akeem Davis Gaither, the fact that he's kind of been slowed down by the injury through the combine process, now the pro days out of whack, and this whole, you know, NFL offseason, truncated offseason, I think he actually now has a chance to fall to 99. If you remember, Nick, on that pod, we talked about taking him at 36. That's how high we are on him. So if they can get him at 99, oh, my God. And, I, again, like I said, with, through, now with the process playing out as is, I do think it's possible. So, wow, that would be just an outstanding pick here at number 99 overall. All right, Nick, take us to <coughs> excuse me, day three with their first pick in round four at 110 overall. Yeah, this is a very unlikely situation, I will say, but crazier things have happened. Yeah, simulators, by the way, there's a lot of unlikely situations. A lot of guys on the board that had picks that I'm just not sure they will be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Simulator, by the way, it's not just the one you're using or whatever. No, that goes for all of, all of the big simulators that are out there. But uh, I will use the fan speak for this one, I believe. But uh, the draft network simulator is also very good as well. You guys should check that out. But at round four, pick number one ten. The Giants go with Southern Illinois, Jeremy Chin, safety slash linebacker possibly because he's like 220 pounds, an explosive athlete. No way he falls to 110. Just going to lay that out there. But he went down to the combine, ran a 4.45, 138 inches on the broad jump, 41-inch vert. It's tested in like the above 95th percentile and like three different things down there. So this is a very, very explosive safety who played at a smaller school. And I know that in this 
mock draft, we just added an athletic linebacker. But the fact that Chin is there, I'm, the Giants will not pass him up if I'm the general manager. So if he's there at round four, the Giants are going to go him and they will find a way to utilize his skill set, even though it might be somewhat, quote unquote, redundant to Jabril Peppers, who might not be the long term answer for the Giants. So I don't think this is a bad move whatsoever. And I'm sure you're going to agree with me, given the value. Yeah, I mean, at 110 overall, it's amazing. First of all, I'm a big believer that you can never have too many players like this, like the King Davis Gaither types, the Simmons, the Chins, the guys who can just help you out in nickel situations where you're going to be most of the time, help you out in coverage as a blitzer, as a chase and pursuit guy, and sideline to sideline. And those are the type of guys that he is. Now, with Chin, with Chin, Jeremy Chin, and this goes for Duger, too. I had a chance to look into Nick since our last podcast when we talked about them. I'm not so sure I trust either of them in a single high role, to be honest. I don't even I don't think I've seen enough of them there. And that's also at a lower level of play for both of them, because obviously this would be a back to back, you know, non D1 power five pick by the Giants. But I think he can play off ball linebacker. And more importantly, I think he can play the role Dribble Peppers plays uh, for the Giants at safety. Uh, it's kind of the box safety. So if they don't think Peppers is the long-term answer, or, you know, if they just want to add more talent to, to a role that is super important in every single defense in the NFL now, well, then you go ahead and you draft him. And the value is just awesome there. All right, take us to round five at number 150 overall. Right now, so far, just recapping, you've got one offensive player. That's an offensive tackle. You have an edge. You have an off-ball linebacker, and you have, I guess what I'll call Chin is safety, but I'm thinking more he's closer into the linebacker-safety hybrid. So we've gone three defense, one offensive player, and now we're at round five. Who are the Giants taking? Again, this is a player I don't feel like will be there, but I couldn't pass up his value because he, unlike Chin, does have deep single high safety capabilities if he gets coached up on the necessary angles and things like that. I believe his athletic ability would assist him in this and that's Kayvon Wallace he's a safety from Clemson and I believe that he could be that potential fix for the single high role just given his athletic ability he didn't necessarily do that exclusively at Clemson he would drop down on the box he would play robber and do things like that but I believe if he's taught and spun up he and he has shown it on tape if he is taught and spun up he could be that long term for the Giants so at 150 I felt like I would go back to back picks with two safeties really sure up this defense bring in the youth bring in different kind of skill sets because he's a much different safety prospect than Jeremy Chin who's more of kind of like a hybrid linebacker but he's somebody that uh I would like to see in a Giants uniform that's Kevon Wallace yeah another pick I love Nick and Again, Wallace is a guy we talked about on the Combine podcast because he opened my eyes up on the Combine. He was super, super freakishly athletic and fast, and he has play, had good reps at that deep half safety role. And those are, that's like I've talked about, it's a really hard position to find, and it's a really important position when it comes to impact on wins and losses. So you take a swing there on a guy with that kind of athleticism around five, sign me up. All right, but now we're moving on to round six, and you're finally going back to the offensive side of the ball, and you're avoiding the skill position. So again, so far through the draft, you've passed on a lot of, in my opinion, probably talented, really good values at the wide receiver position, which I don't hate, but those might have been the best player on my board at the time. We'll see. But in round six, you're going back to the well with Clemson, and you're not taking a skill player, but you are going to the offensive side of the ball. So who are you taking in round six at 184 overall? 184, we're going with offensive center Gage Cervanka of Clemson, the Clemson Tigers, the championship Clemson Tigers from a few years back. So he was a team captain, and he uh, started, I want to say, 23 games through 2018 and 2019 for Clemson, and he's just revered for his leadership. He was second team all ACC this past season. And just look at the Giants' center position. If They're not going to get Cush, and they're not going to get Biotis, and they're not going to get uh, Cesar Ruiz or anything like that. 
then they need to at least bring in people to compete. I mean, you might sign Evan Brown, who's available right now, but he didn't necessarily work out the first time he was here. John Jalapia was no longer around. He had that Achilles injury, obviously, in Week 17, and now you just have Spencer Pulley at your center. And the games that we watched with Spencer Pulley when Jalapia was injured with, uh, I think it was a concussion or whatever it was earlier in the season, they weren't that great. So you need to find people who can compete for that position. Is Cervanka the answer? Possibly not, but you can develop him. He obviously brings a lot of intangibles to the table, and he has a championship pedigree in the college level. So I kind of thought, hey, pick 184, let's go this direction, and that's where I went. Yeah, I mean, he just strikes me as a definite Dave Gettleman type of guy, team captain, 23 starts on a national championship type team. That's the type of guys that Dave Gettleman has, has looked for in his first couple of years. The, uh, those type of guys and obviously senior bowl standouts have been a big thing for him. So I think he could be a Gettleman guy. And what I like most about what you said is that he's got good power and work, big power at the point of attack. That is what I feel like the Giants have been lacking so much at the center position with Pulley and Jalapio. And more importantly, I think that's what they're going to need for Garrett's system as they move forward with more power and gap syst- uh, a blocking scheme. And I think that's what they want to be. They want to be physical at the point of attack, and there's no better position to be physical at if you want to be physical at the point of attack than center. So personally, if I'm guessing what the Giants will do, I think they're going to go center earlier than people realize. Now, as far as what they will do and what they could do in this mock based on how it plays out, I love this value pick too here, Nick. I think it's a smart type pick. We're looking at round six, seven guys. We're not looking for, you know, these guys are developmental picks that you're hoping are going to break out. Obviously the Giants had a lot of success in this range last year in round five specifically with Connolly and Slayton, but it's not going to happen every year. So these are developmental guys. So I, I like the pick. Um, and I think it could be interesting. What about with their seventh round picks? Let's go over all three of those at once. Because uh, you kind of finally did move back to the skill positions there. Yes. Yes, we did. So this before the Draymond Askew, uh, Askew uh, Henry signing. So I took a corner with the first seventh round pick, and that is pick 219. And I believe he's a talented corner, too. Played at Tulsa, so not a power five school, but Reggie Robinson the third, Very, very uh, explosive athlete. I think he jumped just short or was 11 feet in the broad jump at the combine. He, um, he thrived with just knocking the ball out of the air, being disruptive at the catch point, which is something that I put in a high regard is putting yourself as a cornerback in position to make plays. And he did that at college. He had 34 passes, defense, three interceptions for Tulsa. And I don't believe they threw to him that much towards the uh, end of the uh, end of his campaign down there uh, for Tulsa. So I believe that was uh, just somebody who's a little bit more physical, who can tackle. He's a boundary corner, so he's not a nickel. Maybe you can bring him in late in the draft, have him compete with Ballantyne and see who can uh, maybe rise up and even make the roster for that matter because Ballantyne hasn't necessarily showed us too much. Granted, I do believe he's an explosive athlete as well. So that was with 219. And then at pick 239, we went with wide receiver from Miami, Jeff Thomas. Okay, so Jeff Thomas... He ran a 4.45, and that doesn't really jump off the table for a lot of people. But if you watch him, he's very, very explosive. Granted, he's a little bit undersized. He's five foot nine, 170 pounds. But I believe, just seeing how Jason Garrett kind of utilized Tavon Austin, we got the train in the background. You got the medical in the background, dude. We got everything covered up here in New Jersey. But anyways, just seeing how Jason Garrett utilized Tavon Austin. He likes to use some trick, some gadget type of plays with some of those guys who are on the roster to be special teamers. I think Jeff Thomas could be a kick returner for the Giants, and he's somebody who will add an explosive, dynamic element opposite of Saquon Barkley to that offense, and you're getting him at pick 239. He didn't have all that production in the world, didn't really have that in 2019, only had 31 catches 
for 379 yards and three touchdowns. But I think he can really fill a niche and be under the radar and kind of fill a role for the Giants because he has that trump card. And that's what you're kind of looking for right here. You're looking for people with a trump card. And he has the trump card of being very, very explosive in space and being able to make people miss in space due to his burst and his acceleration. So that's something I like. And then round seven, pick 248, I went with J.J. Taylor. This is before the Giants signed Deion Lewis. Taylor is somebody I would have been interested in around this time. A lot of people compare him to Tariq Cohn because of his diminutive size. He's five foot five, 185 pounds. But when you watch the tape, he definitely looks like he's a little bit faster than a 4.61, which is what he ran at the combine. But I feel like Jason Garrett's going to use some more 21 personnel, maybe 20 personnel, kind of have split back, things like that. And I think Taylor and Barkley together releasing on routes would have com- uh, would have forced linebackers into just some precarious situations because I feel like both of those guys are really, really tough covers coming out of the backfield. So I kind of liked that addition. 2018, he was more of a bell cow back for Arizona. He had 255 carries for just over 1,400 yards and six touchdowns. And then he took a step back in 2019, 148 carries for 721 yards and five touchdowns. And then he had 16 uh, catches and 32 yard, or in 32 catches in those respective years. And not, nothing crazy with touchdowns or yards when it comes to those catches. So he's more of a check down kind of guy. But he can make people miss in space if you turn on his tape and watch it. J.J. Taylor, a lot of people call him the human joystick, which people give anybody who's, I guess, a little bit smaller and very, very agile with really good change of direction skills in space, which Taylor does possess. So he's somebody that uh, I was interested in before the Deion Lewis signing. Now, maybe not so much, but I think he's an intriguing prospect, not just because he's short and uh, kind of resembles Tariq Cohen. And then, <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like all those picks there, Nick. Um, specifically talking Jeff Thomas, I think you nailed it there. He's a guy who can fill a niche role. Now, maybe they want Coleman back in that role, but they can't fully count on Coleman. And again, this goes back to the, the last pick you made, Taylor. That's my favorite pick by far of these three. Um, and I don't think it, they should be ruled out just because they signed Deion Lewis. I think you can run with four running backs, especially with this extra roster spot, especially if they end up using Taylor in a role I think they should, which is kind of in that jet sweep action, that motion role. And again, here's a guy, J.J. Taylor, who entered the combine as a really hot potential flyer fourth round pick. Um, now he's dropped all the way into the sixth and seventh projection range solely because he ran that 4-6-1. A guy like him, they want to see run a 4-4. But when you watch him, and you have, and I've watched him as well, he looks like he's running closer to a 4-4. And those are the type of guys that I want to take a chance on here. Guys who are literally being knocked multiple rounds down the draft board because of that stupid, because of the 40 time, which is so not his game. His game is winning in space in the 10 to 20 yard range, in the, sorry, 0 to 20 yard range. We don't need, they don't need somebody to break a 79 yard touchdown run. Those are so rare in the NFL anyway. Obviously the Giants fans have been a little spoiled having Barkley the last few years, but that's not what they would need from a guy like him. And so that's my favorite pick of the bunch. And I absolutely love this mock draft as a whole. As we look back on it, Nick, would I have liked to maybe get Simmons first, obviously. Would I like to get a center higher? Well, I think they do that, sure. But this draft knocks out multiple needs. This draft is, includes incredible value in multiple spots. And it really hits the nail on the head for what the Giants should be looking to do overall from a philosophy standpoint on defense while also landing yourself just an incredible slew of second and third level talent uh, talent that can, they can build around. Akeem Davis Gaither, uh, Julian Aquara, you know, Jeremy Chink, Von Wallace. These are second and third level guys that I love that can really help become the next line of defense for the Giants on the second and third level. So for me, I'm giving your mock draft a down, a straight up A, Nick. Do I think Thanks. some of these guys will be on the board? Maybe not. But I'll give you the A because this is this would be a slam dunk for the New York Giants. 
That means a lot, Dan. But we didn't go over Mr. Irrelevant. Oh, yeah. Hit us with Mr. Irrelevant. So, Mr. That's Irrelevant. He was to me, by the way. <laughs> For those of you who do not know, Mr. Irrelevant is the last selection in the NFL draft. That's what uh, everyone in the draft community calls Mr. Irrelevant. And in this draft, pick 256, the New York Giants, who own the Mr. Irrelevant selection, go with Terrence Steele, offensive tackle out of Texas Tech. And basically, he's just a moldable piece of clay who was in an air raid offense who really needs to be developed. I haven't grinded through his film, but just some things jumped out to me, his 35 and 1 8 inch arms, and the fact that with those really long arms, he was able to do 27 reps on the bench. Again, didn't go over his film, but he has the size and he has the strength of the bench which i don't really put much into maybe the fact that he's a hard worker because he worked to get that that's something you can glean from that kind of uh, exercise but yeah it's just a player that uh might be a little bit of a higher upside moldable guy to kind of go on the practice squad and you get him at you know pick 256 last pick literally called mr irrelevant so that is the uh that's the uh, mock draft right there I love it, Nick. And for those of you tuning in, as always, during our offseason content, once again, we appreciate your support. And hopefully we're delivering you the content you want. But feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or wherever you can find us. And let us know what, uh, what other kind of content you want to hear. We'll continue to, to bolster through through draft season. We're excited. This was a really fun one. I had a great time, Nick, breaking down the mock draft. On that note, have a great rest of your week, and you'll be hearing from us soon.